This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was read came from the 51st Psalm, the 10th through the 13th verses. And I'll read it one more time, this time from the NIV version for context. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You may recall that King David one night was pacing on the roof of his palace. From there he spies a beautiful woman her name is Bathsheba. She is the daughter of Eliam, the wife of one of his generals, Uriah the Hittite, who is away at war. David sends for her and spends the night with her. Then she becomes pregnant, and then he commands her husband to go into the hottest part of the battle, right on the front line where he dies. David then marries Bathsheba. At this point, and if you're familiar with the story, Nathan comes and Nathan confronts David with this evil that he has done. David is humbled and he declares, I have sinned before God. David's greatness shines in both his ability to take responsibility for his actions and the humility of his admission and then the repentance that follows while the story reads like a modern-day reality TV show, the real essence of the story lies in the fact that a very powerful king, a man who was at the top of the world, given such tremendous responsibility from God, had betrayed the office that he holds. Instead of caring for the welfare of his subjects, this powerful king violated the most vulnerable of his people. But he's also committed a murderous atrocity against a man that was fighting a battle for his name's sake and in honor of the king. In short, David, like many of us, with all the responsibilities that we've been given, have betrayed a most sacred trust. Yet in the midst of this sordid and disturbing tale, we are privileged to get a bird's eye view into the depths of David's very soul and are able to see the process of renewal in the 51st Psalm. In short, we get a glimpse into David's heart transplant. It is with this heart transplant in mind that I think our hope, your hope and mine lies. And so I'll be speaking a message today that I have titled quite simply, A Clean Heart. A Clean Heart. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you now that we have come to the preaching hour. Bless now this time, we pray. Open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds that we may hear clearly the word of the Lord. Speak, Lord, for your children are listening. Incarnate your spirit right now in this preacher. Breathe on the preacher. Breathe on the message and make them both live. 
This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible makes numerous references to the heart and the state of the heart. Let me briefly bring your attention to some very specific references to the heart in the Bible so that you are able to see that the issue of the heart is no small matter to God. In Matthew, the 6th chapter and the 21st verse, it reads, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Proverbs, the third chapter and the fifth verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Proverbs, the fourth and 23rd, it says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 23 and 26, my son, Give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. Philippians, the fourth chapter and the seventh verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. John, the 14th chapter and the 27th verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Just a few more. Psalms, the 37th and the 4th verse. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 26 and 2. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Psalm 34 and 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Matthew 5 and 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Psalms 19 and 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I went through this exhaustive list because I want you to see that the heart is really a big deal to God. In fact, I would dare say that there is nothing more important to God as revealed in the pages of our scriptures about the condition of the human heart. Now, to be clear, let me share with you what I mean by heart. There's two ways to look at heart. First, there is the physical heart. What beats in your chest and in mine, the heart itself is a hollow organ, a hollow muscular organ that pumps blood to various parts of the human body. And that heart actually has two sides. There is a right side and there is a left side. The function of the right side of the heart is to collect blood from the body that has no oxygen in it pump that blood into the lungs, therefore the lungs can put oxygen into that blood. And then the left side of the heart then takes the blood from the oxygen, with the oxygen, and then pours it out into the rest of the human body. So the function of the heart is to take bad blood out of the body and replace it with good blood. That's how the heart works, in a nutshell. And it's only the heart that can do that. So when the Bible says out of the heart flows the issues of life, it is in one aspect referring literally to the flow of blood in the body and it's supported by what we read in Leviticus where it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. But for our purposes today, 
we want to look at the other meaning of how the Bible uses the heart. When used as a metaphor, the, the heart refers to either the mind, the emotions, the will, or simply to the person as a whole. Scriptures teach us that the real issues of life are in fact spiritual and really matters of the heart. So the biblical use of the term heart then generally speaks to the inner person, to who you really are in all your various aspects. If I look at you and I can see that you have issues or challenges or problems, then my brothers and my sisters, I'm telling you, you have a heart condition. So the heart biblically speaks to the inner person. And just like the physical heart is, is, is central and vital to your physical life, so too is your spiritual heart central and vital to your spiritual life. We read in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter and the 7th verse, these words with the prophet Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, talking about Saul, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So let me tell you in a nutshell, the Bible is telling us that God said to Samuel, I have rejected him. And why did God reject Saul? Because of the condition of Saul's heart. So you and I, considering the conditions of our heart, is it possible that we too have been rejected by God because of our heart condition, which by the way, leads to spiritual life or death. Why? Because out of the heart flows the issues of life. In Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, and the 9th through the 10th verse, we read, the heart is more deceitful than any else, and it is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So what are you saying, preacher? What I'm saying is, what is the state and the condition of your hearts today? Why is the heart so important? Because of the issues of life, our actions, our works, our pursuits, everything that we find interest in flows out of our hearts. For as a man thinketh in his heart, Heart, so is he. I'm not making this up, brothers and sisters. I'm simply telling you the nature of the problem. Whatever your issues and your challenges are, it is derived from the conditions of our hearts. Now going back to King David. David has not been a good king. So when he's confronted with his sin, he cries out to God in the 51st Psalm and the 10th verse. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Why would David, in the midst of all of the things that he has done wrong in his life, didn't simply say, God, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I've done wrong. Like many of us, when we have transgressed, we want God's forgiveness. But the reality is, and what I'm telling you is, is that you're asking for the wrong thing. You don't need forgiveness. You need a clean 
heart. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. David had what we would call a contrite heart. The word contrite or contrition means to be crushed or even ground to pieces. In other words, David was crushed by guilt and as a result is sincere and he is completely remorseful for the sin he has committed. David knows he has done wrong, but not only does he know that he has done wrong, he is crushed in his spirit. David is repentant. He is penitent. He is regretful. He is sorry. He is apologetic. He is ashamed. He is chastened. He is conscience stricken and he is guilt ridden. Does that sound like any of you? In other words, David's hardened heart, as strong as David was as king, David's hardened heart was broken. This is a key concept for our Christian faith. And through Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man, contrition of the heart is always the very first step towards reconciliation with God. If you are not contrite in your heart from which flows the issues of your life, you may be seeking reconciliation from a God that cannot hear you. If your heart isn't broken enough to the point where you humble yourself and say, I cannot do this anymore, then chances are you're going to be fighting and struggling and fighting and struggling until you become broken, crushed in spirit, and even to the point where you now have to say, create in me a clean heart. Because the problem is not my mind, my thinking, my education, my job. My, the problem is my heart. Create, O oh God, in me, not in anyone else, but in me, a clean heart. There's a great example of what I mean by contrition of heart. And that example is given in Luke, the 18th chapter, and the 9th through the 13th verses. Stay with me, church. The text reads, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, and this is how the Pharisee prayed, God. I am so thankful that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, oh God, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth, a tithe of all that I earn. But the tax collector stood at a distance, not even willing to come to the altar of the Lord, stood at a distance, looked up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We also see this in the story of the prodigal son. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am not worthy to be called thy son. 
Brothers and sisters, contrition must be a real and sincere sorrow of heart. And not mere words or an external manifestation of repentance that church people like to see. The Old Testament prophets laid particular stress on the necessity of a hearty repentance. A contrite heart does not take the forgiveness of God for granted, for you are not worthy or deserving of it in and of yourself. A contrite heart is grieved over its own sin and what that sin has cost God. A contrite heart harbors no thoughts of repeating its sin. Rather, it seeks the strength of God, the strength of God to overcome the sin and move towards holiness. Brothers and sisters, let me be clear. There are some things that are wrong with us that only God can fix. You can try all you want. You can try any kind of drug, any kind of medication. You can try anything. You can even try women. You can, listen, I don't care what your issue may be. You can try it all. What I'm telling you, the reason why it may not work, does not work, will never work, is simply because there are some things that only God can do. So the real question then becomes, how do I become and obtain this contrite heart. You see, I have to make known my sin. I have to acknowledge my sin. I have to admit my sin. But how do we obtain this contrite heart so that I can, so that I can get out of this cycle over and over and over again? Look at the psalm carefully. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. From this reading, there are four things that we need to see. The first is cleanliness. Create in me a clean heart. You have to recognize that you are, in fact, dirty. The Bible is very clear that our righteousness is as but what? Filthy rags. And like any clothes that need to be laundered, you have to first admit that the clothes are dirty. What would be the point of washing something if you think it is already clean? The fact is, you and I know that we are not clean, even from the very thoughts that we harbor in our minds that we think no one knows about. This is why you know you need to be clean. There's nothing too dirty that God can't make worthy. He washes us in mercy, and he makes us clean. The second part says, renew a right spirit in me. Now this part works with the first part. And what you need to understand is both of these are God-directed activities. David says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. In other words, God, you need to do this. Only God can create in you and I a clean heart. And likewise, only God can renew a right spirit in you and me. This is really important, church. Your spirit, separate and apart from God, is the reason why you harbor evil thoughts and cannot share it with anyone. 
Where do you think it comes from? Surely you cannot believe it is coming from God. But it's coming from a part of you that has been disconnected from God, which is one of the reasons why I love the ministry of Pivot Ministries. Why? Because they recognize that unless God becomes an integral part of the process, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. But beloved, you don't have to live this way. Jesus died so that you can be made free from the spiritual prison that you have been bound to for so long. It is not your daddy's fault. It is not your mommy's fault or your abuser's fault. The truth of the matter is you are the keeper of your own thoughts and you are responsible for dealing with them. No one is making you think the things you think. And the Apostle Paul instructs us. Here's what he says. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting, here it is, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity and obedience to Christ. So, so, so be free, my brothers and my sisters, because Jesus is creating in you and me a clean heart, and Jesus is renewing a steadfast spirit in me. The second thing is communion. And this is Communion Sunday, and I hope you've all gotten your elements because we'll be taking communion in a few minutes. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Unless your heart is clean, you cannot be in the presence of God because God is holy and everything about God is holy. So we're stuck. We're stuck. By transgressing the way David did, he ran the risk of losing the presence of God, which is why he says, take not your spirit from me. Might I remind you that if you notice on first Sundays before we take communion, what do we do? I say, okay, we're going to, I'm going to lead you in the prayer of confession. Why do I do that before communion? Why? Because I know that God needs to create in you and me a clean heart. And he needs to renew a steadfast spirit in us. We need him to not what? Take his presence from us. And we cannot be in his presence if we have not confessed. Almighty God. Father Almighty. Maker of all things. Judge of all men. We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins that we have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are sorry for all our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please you in the newness of life to the honor and glory of your name. I am telling you that we must confess because God's presence will not be in communion until we have made ourselves right with God. Third, constancy. Verse 12 says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Uphold with thy free spirit. This stage now lets us see that God is doing a restorative action 
in your life. He has forgiven you for what you have done and is now undergirding you and upholding you with his spirit. Think of a person who is crippled, who is walking with crutches. The crutches become the Holy Spirit that holds you up for removing those crutches, meaning that you will fall to the ground. The Bible is clear. That there is nothing new under the sun and there is nothing that you have done or will ever do that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Let me say it with all authority from the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven and you are welcome at God's table and you are welcome at ours. Finally, compassion. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. Once you have been cleansed and your spirit renewed and you have entered into the fellowship of God's sweet communion with his Holy Spirit, then you will feel a compulsion to share the good news with others. You can't hold it back. You remember what it was like for those of you who when you first got saved, you wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. You know what it was like. I remember. I thought I could do it Anytime, anywhere, but something happened along the way. Somehow I forgot the joy of my salvation. And so I asked God, I said, listen, Lord, listen, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your way. I will talk about the goodness of the Lord. I will talk about how wonderful are his works in all the earth. Restore to me, Lord, that spirit, that passion, that zest for life that makes me want others to feel what I feel in you. Cleanliness, communion. Constancy and compassion are the ways to get your heart pumping the right blood, the good blood, through your spiritual body. But it must begin with you taking responsibility for your own self and your own actions. You cannot ask for lips of praise and have not yielded yourself fully to God. The only route is through contrition and it begins with an act of your will. So here's the truth as I close. David was not a perfect king. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, was not a perfect woman. I am not a perfect pastor. Pastor Richard is not a perfect pastor or even a perfect man. None of us or you are or women. None of us are. None of us are perfect. But there was someone who was. Someone was. And that someone, his name, is Jesus. You see, he saw our fallen and broken nature and he looked beyond our faults and he saw your need and mine. So much so that he dared to allow us not to remain in that fallen condition. So out of perfect love, he came in the form of a man, suffered, bled, and died. And, and, and he took on the punishment for all your sins and mine. And he vindicated us once and for all so that you and I can share in the glory that he has prepared for us. This is good news. This is good news. You and I, we have hope. We have an opportunity to find him. If David, 
as great a man that he was, could fall so far from grace and then be restored to the point where, where, where he's willing once again to proclaim the goodness of the Lord and be biblically, hear me church, and be biblically declared. I'm talking about David. Be biblically declared to be a man after God's own heart. Then there's hope for you and me today. There is hope for you and me today. For if you are in need of a heart transplant today, then I know a fountain filled with blood that has been drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And, and, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation so that I may worship thee. So won't you make the choice to, to let God create in you today that clean heart, that steadfast spirit, if you are willing to allow yourself to be crushed enough, humble enough to allow that heart to pump the oxygenated blood into the rest of your bodies, that you may be healthy, then you are in the right place. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If that is you, then we have good news for you. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.